turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Perhaps you're listening to the radio at 5.30 drive time, or as I say, you're listening on a podcast around the world. Wherever you are, whoever you are, a warm welcome. Today, we're blessed to have Lisa, Lisa McDonald from Matthew House. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here today. So Lisa, first of all, tell us a little bit about Matthew House. What, what is it all about? Well, interestingly, right now it is not officially a house, but that is the long-term goal and initiative. Um, I've worked within the refugee resettlement space for quite a few years through Central Christian Church. And one of the common issues that kept coming up was this need for housing and housing support. So our long-term goal is to actually have a place that families would arrive and would have a place that they can acclimate to life in the United States where they'll have employment, where they'll have the opportunity to, to learn the language in a safe space um, and just, again, have community in that process. So that's the long-term goal and vision of Matthew House. For today, we provide housing subsidies given the market that we're in and the cost um, prohibitive nature of getting families into safe communities and into places where they can um, flourish once they're here in the United States and making this their home. We also provide language programs, um, tutoring programs for children, mentoring programs for um, families so that um, they can, again, have someone who's walking with them on that journey of learning about life in the United States and then um, providing some scholarships um, and job uh, development work um, will be some of our future opportunities for families as they arrive. So we're actually pretty brand new um, as an organization, despite having done some of this work for quite a few years. We just actually launched the nonprofit um, in July of 2021. That's wonderful. And so uh, really it's uh, reaching out to the um, the. Uh as scripture would say, you know, to the foreigner, to the alien, and uh, helping them to uh, become part of society and to to work within that society. And, you know, uh, I know me, me being from uh, Europe, from the good old UK, you know, when, yeah. I, when I first arrived here, you know, speak the same language, you know, uh, understand Western sort of culture to a degree. Uh, and still for me, it was sort of bewildering. You know, you drive on the side of the road and you can't <laughs> buy certain things here and you have to buy them there. And, you know, you, you, you can't just sort of walk up to a dentist and say, hey, operate. You know, it, there's all these new, like for me, it was trivial, you know, um, yes. trivial things of 
being integrated into a society. But I'm completely guessing at this point, you can correct me, you know, if you do come into the country not able to speak the language from a, a different uh, culture and environment and ways of doing things, it must be, must be daunting, frightening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point, when you come here and you're choosing um, to be in the United States, that's one thing, right? When you've had to flee a country because of persecution for religious or political or other reasons, um, and you're, you've experienced trauma in that journey, you add trauma to the picture, you add language barriers to the picture. And, you know, again, people have been broken from community, from their culture, from their norms. And in some cases, families have lived in refugee camps for an extended period of time. We were, we're working with one family now that is um, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they were in a refugee camp in Tanzania for 25 years. And so if you consider life in a refugee camp, you're, you don't ever have to go source food at a grocery store or, um, you know, pay rent for your apartment kind of thing. So all of those new realities as they're coming into the United States are pretty significant. And just there's so many hurdles and barriers that families have to cross and without the language skill to be able to do that, having um, welcoming friends that help them navigate that process is very, very important. And so that's what we, we have the opportunity to provide. So uh, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, you're speaking about how people have been in the concentration camps for, for 20, excuse me, uh, people have been in the immigration camps for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what you said? Yeah, this particular family, the, the average is probably closer to 17 years that families can be in those environments. But for the average person, so like if you look at places like Syria, um, you know, those families were in the early stages of um, arriving here as refugees. Those families had been in another community. So they left their home of in Syria had fled into neighboring countries and had been in those locations for maybe at that time, probably 18 months to three years. That was the average length of time that the immigration process takes, um, across the, across the pond as it were, um, before coming into the United States or into a, you know, another resettlement country. But that obviously extended when administration changes and, and, uh, limitations were placed on certain people arriving. So now families arriving from Syria have been displaced for probably closer to nine or 10 years prior to arriving in the country. So it, it depends upon the group. It depends upon the circumstances, but it can be, um, again, a wide variety, but typically the average is it takes it at minimum 18 to 36 months to go through the entire process. And then depending upon circumstance and how long they've been in those camps, it can be on average about 17 years in a refugee camp. Wow. And so, you know, during that time, uh, you know, you're speaking from someone who's just just basically ignorant um, in the sense of not having any understanding of what life must be like within uh, an immigration camp. And so, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't take much to, to, to realize that it, it, it's not going to be very pleasant and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, dangerous and I guess traumatic. I, w- I was talking to um, one brother uh, a few months back who um, w- was in a uh, immigration camp for a long time. They're saying, you know, everything was stripped. You know, the family was mm-hmm. stripped from him. 
this is a place from Africa and, uh, you know, his culture was stripped, you know, and he's, he's, he's living in a tent in a foreign country where no one yeah. wants him. Uh, and so, so they uh, arrive um, in the United States. Um, they've, uh, they're, they're here. And so, so how, how do you even uh, approach? What's your first steps of welcoming these people, helping them to know that you're on their side? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends upon the situation, but you know, when we get the opportunity, greeting someone at the airport and being one of the first friendly faces that's smiling at them and welcoming them is ideal. Um, if that is not the story, then um, being able to arrive at someone's home with a a translator, someone who can communicate in their language, um, is the second best because then you have someone who can communicate. Um, they have that comfort level of knowing that there's, there's a person that can, you know, speak their own language. So in some recent scenarios, we have a community of individuals through our church that speak Swahili. And so this family that arrived from the democratic Republic of Congo, um, they were able to go in and be part of the welcoming team, be part of that group that, that welcome them. So they have someone who speaks their language as part of that team um, and can be that bridge for others who don't speak that language. But we come in and we um, basically just start befriending, you know, bring gifts of things like fruit, uh, fresh fruit, um, find out what needs are, find out how we can best support. We work alongside resettlement agencies, so they will let us know what um, types of support infrastructure they would like us to offer in addition to what they offer. Um, we, we bring in opportunities for English language learning. So we have formal classes that they can attend or, um, the team, we encourage the individuals that are part of that welcome team to be helping them learn language within their home. So this is, you know, this is a table, this is a chair, this is, you know, a stove. And again, just helping them learn those tools and, And again, if you think about going into a strange country and you think about someone who's there willingly helping you uh, navigate, they they quickly go from being a mentor to a friend because that becomes someone you rely upon. Um, And so those are the the common ways we approach. But again, ideally, it's wonderful if we can meet people at the airport and begin that relationship from the moment they touch ground in the United States. But more frequently recently, it's been a little different than that through kind of a couple couple days or weeks after they arrive coming alongside and and again being offering support services my next question is how can people get involved when i when i listen to you i, I sort of i almost freeze up mentally freeze up you know, it's, <laughs> such, it's such a big task you know you've got yeah you've got these poor people coming from um, war-torn or or, or whatever the, the the negative situation is you know coming to a new frightening country despite how wonderful this country is if frightening yeah. different language what's going to happen to me what's going to happen to my children are we going to, to feed are we going to be accepted you know how can we how can we evolve in you know so it's kind of like you know well what you know what what can i do you know i i, I i'm not a counselor you know i can't do certain things so what would you say to someone who was listening now on the radio or on mm-hmm. the computer and they're, they're thinking you know, my heart goes out to these people, but there's really nothing that I can do to help. What would you say? Well, it's, I think we've all been there at some point. It seems daunting. It seems overwhelming, but there's always 
you know, little places that we can get started. Um, one of the places that I often send teams to just kind of experience, you know, interacting with a refugee is an organization called welcome to America project. Um, their team delivers furniture goods into homes and it's a great opportunity to hear a refugee story. And it's a, what I call a low entry, um, opportunity. So you're delivering furniture, you're being a smiling face, you're providing a welcome. But if you, if it's intimidating and overwhelming, then you can step back out and you know, there that's all the more needed that day. Right. But if you lean into that and you, you feel like, Hey, I'd like to do more. Some next step opportunities are things like getting involved in a tutoring program, um, or an adult language learning program, and so my organization in the East Valley of Phoenix um, is one opportunity. Abounding Service is another partner organization that does uh, language learning classes. So they would be a place in North Phoenix that people could get involved. And you're just being an, a, an encourager and a coach. Um, and it, all of us who speak English can help someone else learn because it's truly that conversational interaction that is what helps build the the skill for people who are new to this country. Um, so those are, that's a kind of a secondary step in. And then if they're interested in something like a welcome team, we have training for that. Um, and we simply provide the training. We encourage people to bring together friends and family members to, to join them and being part of a team. We, we try to build teams of 10 or more so that no one has to do it alone, right? We don't want people to feel intimidated. It is overwhelming. The needs are great when people first arrive and, um, you know, the, the group that comes alongside tends to be the community and in very communal cultures, there's a lot of expectation on community. So that's the, what we call the deep end of the pond, um, where you're, you're planning to be involved and engaged for the long term and really help people. But there's training that, you know, that we provide for that. And we typically have someone who can help coach teams. Um, so we try not to leave anybody alone and, kind of having to navigate without support systems. Uh, and, uh, that's encouraging because, you know, uh, suddenly when something's sort of given to you, you're like, ah, you know, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to make matters worse, you know. And right. so, so the fact that you are there, um, figuratively speaking, holding people's hands, training them, enabling yes. them to serve is, uh, you know, encouraging. Gives, gives us that ability of maybe I can do this. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just thinking of of the, the Christian body. You know, and we're all given, you know, as Paul would say, different, you know, analogy of the body. We're all giving different skills, different abilities. Some of us aren't meant to uh, be counselors, or but, but all of us can pray. All of us can befriend people, and so um, find find what our 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 skill is. So um, before we go further. We're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we're blessed to have Lisa McDonald from uh, an organization that is or will be called Matthew House. And it's uh, <laughs> an, an organization that seeks to reach out to refugees who are coming into this country, people who have fled uh, extremely dire situations and are starting anew here. So, Lisa, my, my question to you is, uh, last night I was researching uh, about the organization and about, about yourself, and it um, looks like you had a, a pretty successful career 
before you started doing this sort of thing. So why why on earth would you put that aside? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's easy. You turn up, you sit behind a cubicle, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. Yeah. I'm not to put it down, but behind a cubicle, you know, and you turn up, you do your work, you clock out, you go home. Hurrah! You know, right. so why why on earth would you give up that that uh, cushy lifestyle? Uh, <laughs> and uh, be involved in something that at times is heartbreaking. Why Why are you doing this? But, wow, I've never had it positioned quite like that, Julian. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> um, so several years ago, actually, when I was still working in corporate America, um, we lived in Indiana, and I had the opportunity to travel to Lebanon. And it was my first opportunity to meet, as an adult, another refugee uh, or a, a refugee, I guess at that time, someone who had fled Syria, actually they had fled Iraq. Let me go back to my correct story or my, the first interaction in Lebanon was with, um, families that had fled Iraq and they, it was just, it was mind blowing, um, for a couple of reasons. One, they were talking about the ousting of Saddam Hussein and the fact that they had been as Christians protected under his rule. And when the new government was set up, they were forced to flee because now they were being persecuted for their faith. And so as a Christian, it was a, it was a compelling, you know, these are people who are fleeing for their faith because they were being asked to, you know, give up their faith in Jesus Christ, denounce their, their Christianity, or they were going to lose their lives. And they chose to flee their country, giving up their jobs, their careers, their homes, their, you know, their family units, um, because they couldn't obviously bring everyone with them. And, and it really like struck at the heart of me that, you know, this is real for people. When we talk about persecution, we, we talk about it in the United States, but I don't think we really have a concept of it until, you know, you're, you're talking to people who had the choice of, you know, life having to flee or, um, you know, being killed for their faith. And you, you just, it becomes a very different story and, you know, recognizing that these were, you know, middle-class people in their communities, sometimes even affluent people in their communities that fled because of their belief in Jesus Christ and wanting to, to not give up faith, but wanting to maintain their lives, right. And taking their children and coming into another country and now living, um, basically at the, you know, looking for the kindness and the care of the people around them because they couldn't, they couldn't fend for themselves in that new location just gave me a, again, it, it wrecked me uh, on a lot of levels. And uh, shortly thereafter we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And at that time I, I had given up my job moving to Arizona. We had 10 and 12 year old girls at the time. And so I started volunteering at a church, um, ended up working for a church and in working for that church, got involved in refugee programming. Cause my heart just said, if, if I believe what I, you know, believe in the word of Jesus Christ, that I'm to feed, clothe and welcome the stranger. And I need to be about that. Listening to the stories of people who fled and what they experienced for their belief in Jesus Christ told me that I need to be that welcoming face on the other end receiving them as brothers and sisters in Christ, or if there's someone who's not a believer in Jesus, like how do you help people come to have faith in Jesus if we don't welcome them in his name? Right. So, um, that was part of my journey of leaving corporate America, moving into, um, what I do today. And then again, leaving the church most recently to start the nonprofit was recognizing that I could do 
a lot through my church, but I could do even more stepping outside. The The opportunity to influence and impact more lives is going to take place outside of my my individual church and working alongside the, the kingdom at large, as it were, and, you know, working alongside a lot of churches and the community as a whole. And, and that's been true. We've, we're working right now with the um, Afghan um, evacuees that have arrived in Phoenix and it's being able to mobilize multiple churches and multiple groups of people to do the work that we're doing today, serving, um, you know, between 250 to 450 people each day with food and resources, um, alongside our resettlement agency partners. Again, that takes a lot of people and it takes the body of Christ as a whole coming together to do that. So that's my story and it's what's led me to where I am today. Um, but again, walking out my faith in, in just being a person who says, if this is what Jesus calls me to do, then, and this is how he has skilled me, um, and created me to be, then this is, this is what I'm going to lean into. And this is how I'm going to live my life. So, um, definitely different than my nine to five, <laughs> uh, in my corporate career, but I, I wouldn't give it up for anything. So, uh, for me to paraphrase you and correct me where I go wrong, uh, there was a passion in your heart. God placed something on your heart. And so you stepped out and did it. Yes. <laughs> that's a good paraphrase <laughs> so, so for again correct me where i go wrong so i'm putting words into your mouth so so you know for for, for me for those listening um you know i i guess sometimes you can get uh paralyzed you know you think you think you have to start something dramatic you know first day you know it has to be big you know it has mm. to take on it has to correct all the ills of the world you know like it's all on me you know and uh it's really so really it's just would you say just just pray about it, step out and start and allow God to guide you along the way? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think prayer, um, and I, I think do I do think your point of just stepping in where you're able and then being responsive when God opens doors to step into the next um and doing that prayerfully. Like I didn't launch a nonprofit um without having worked in this space and working with you know, the resettlement agencies, other key nonprofits, um, the state, the state office and understanding about what the needs were in our community. Um, I didn't launch something without that knowledge and background, but God continued to provide information and opportunity and just, you know, step, step, step. And as, as you go along a path and following God's leading, um, you know, it, it guides you down a place maybe you wouldn't have ever thought. So that's where, that's where we landed. So how can, uh, someone listening, how, how can they help you? How can they help, um, Matthew house? Uh, what, what, how, how can they get involved? Um, what would you, cause you know, you, I've been looking up about you and uh, there's someone's listening now that I, I feel you know, the Lord is calling me to, to get involved. Uh, mm-hmm. How, how can people be supporting your organization? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So we, because we're working right now with the Afghan community um, as well as the other families that we've been supporting prior to that, there's a couple different programs that we offer. We do language programs for adults. We do tutoring programs for children. So those are always opportunities for people to step in and get involved. Um, right now, the support for the Afghan community is pretty significant. 
and we're serving families at hotels. Um, and so we're serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so it's a pretty easy step in again, if you have time in your morning or you have time in your afternoon or evening and can come to a hotel in the Phoenix area and serve a meal, um, the meals are provided, the food is provided. It's simply helping get the food, um, delivered into the hands of the families that are in need right now. Um, sometimes it's donations. Uh, you know, some people say, um, and I was this way for many years. Again, when I worked corporately, I didn't have time. And so financial gifts were always a way to be able to help. Um, the way we're using those finances right now, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, housing subsidies, as these families move into the community, their initial job or employment situations may leave them not able to fund their entire you know, rent or we'll give them very little room. Our goal is to subsidize so that they only have to pay a portion through private funding. Um, and then we will cover the, the differential until they're stabilized and able to afford that on their own. Um, so that's one way we use finances and then food, uh, supports and resource supports at the hotel plus materials for classes. And do you, do you have a, a, a website, or is there uh-huh. a photographer or how, how would someone con- get in contact with you? So our website is matthewhouseaz.org. And that has a link to a get involved. And so if someone's interested in getting involved, they can send in information and then we will follow up with them from there. Um, again, there's ways to donate on that page as well. Excellent. Well, uh, you've been listening to The Kingdom and its stories. You've been listening to Lisa McDonald from Matthew House. You have the web address. So prayerfully consider how God is calling you to get involved. Thank you and God bless. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.